We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating, where we investigate the ins and outs of modern dating mm-hmm. and why people do the things that they do, say the things that they say. And now we're going to crack the code on how to deal with these behaviors. How to do the things, all the things. Which is what our big announcement was last week as well. We are launching a Finding Your Person program. And we feel like we've really cracked the code on Mm -hmm. how to navigate the dating scene to 
make sure that you are prepped and ready to find your person only if you want to, right? <laughs> and we opened up um, we opened up a link last week for early bird registration. We'll give a little bit more details about it later in this intro, but we just want to tease it out for now because big things are coming because we're about to open up the registration link. Yes. So sorry to everyone whose hopes got up that UA and I were engaged. That will be our <laughs> next best big announcement. But this is a pretty big announcement because this probably actually directly helps you a little more than even if that announcement but it was true. So we are super excited. We keep seeing people like even just pop up in the Facebook group of people that have been with the sounding board for a while that are like, I'm finally putting this all into motion and meeting my person. We had uh, one of our members that did such a great job organizing too. We'll give a shout out to Yen. Uh, She wrote something about just how she had like something she wanted people's second opinions on and being with the community and being ingrained in Datable helped her really get that clarity and come out. So we're really hoping this program can really streamline all the stuff we've learned in the last five years and also some of the stuff we've learned by doing the sounding board so it can just be even more efficient for you. It took UA and I five years to get through this. We're mm-hmm. hoping this can, you guys can get through this in six weeks is kind of what the outline is for it. So it's, there's, I think this is our best content to date. Like I feel super good about what we're putting out in the universe and I think the fact that UA and I love hearing these stories. We saw another post that went up. Oh, shout out to Jim just even saying like how through Datable he's listened and re-listened to episodes over and over again and it got him from going through a heavy divorce to now finding his person so this is why we do what we do essentially and this is the perfect time to launch this program because for those of you who celebrate mid-autumn festival or observe the holiday today Mm -hmm. we're actually recording it on this actual holiday and this day is very symbolic of new beginnings Mm. it's supposed to celebrate the end of summer the beginning of fall, but also new beginnings, right? Like everything is anew. We can start over fresh. And also it celebrates the moon. This is the day where the moon is brightest and fullest. Ah. And so it's very symbolic visually that way as well. I love this festival because we get to eat mooncakes. I'm going to see my parents today. We're going to gather. It's all about reunions, but also giving thanks. It's almost like the Chinese Thanksgiving in some ways, but a lot of people get married on this day. It's a very auspicious day for that because it's supposed to symbolize a day of full harmony. You you know, if you think about the moon and the circle, it's it, it's infinite and it's a complete circle. So I'm really stoked about the fact that we're launching this program right around the Autumn <laughs> Festival. You know what else? I didn't even connect the dots until right now. It was just Jewish Rosh Hashanah, which is oh, the yes. new year. So I feel like for both of us, it's the start of something new, the next chapter. And that is what we're putting out of the universe also. And so many of you have DM'd us saying, you're ready. You're ready to start <laughs> fresh, ready to start new. You're ready to, to have a different approach to dating and navigating the dating scene. So we are delivering exactly what you've been asking for. It's this mental, physical, holistic reset <laughs> to finding your person. The adventure of finding your person. I like, <laughs> I have just this vision of like this journey map of, you know, yeah. <laughs> different stages of it. Like, hey, you might get ghosted, but it's okay. Okay, we're gonna make it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a detour, but then you're back on track. It's a detour. It's a detour. It's like Candyland. You remember that game? Or shoots and ladders. It's like shoots and ladders. You like go down one bad path, and then you're back onto a good path. And things can change damn fast in modern dating. That's what I think I've learned. That's kind of kept me hopeful along the way. Is Mm. one day you can be. I mean, I feel like for me, even like one day I was like single. 
the next day I'm like, wow, I'm in a relationship. Like, how did this happen? Right, right. (laughs) Life takes all kinds of twists and turns. And we've been learning this in the last week, too, because if you've been following us um, on on social media and in our Facebook group, we received some some really bad news that one of our previous guests has passed Mm -hmm. away. Her name is Kate Horowitz, and she was part of our first episode about polyamory, which Mm -hmm. opened up a whole discussion of all of the non-monogamous lifestyles you could be living and and relationships you could be having. And thanks to her and her then-husband, Ben, for opening our eyes to this other community that's um, very strong. And she has subsequently been in three other episodes. She's the Mm -hmm. one that invited us to uh, the sex party that she and her (laughs) husband put on. And we're just forever grateful to having the honor of knowing Kate and having her in our lives and having her be part of the dateable community. Yeah, I mean, I was able since you're obviously not local anymore. I went to her celebration of life party Mm -hmm. over the weekend, which you know, I'm really glad I went. Um, It was nice to hear people that were very close to her speak on her behalf. The, The themes that came up over and over again were things that I've definitely even witnessed that we've witnessed mm-hmm. um, is just you know this zest about her like yes. this like burning ambition and desire to change what people's views are and I think to normalize sex and to normalize alternative arrangements and there's something that's been always so inspirational about her is that she did what she wanted to do and she she helped people that also wanted to you know change the way that they approached relationships and non-monogamy. And I think even for the most monogamous of us, what she's taught me is you create the relationship you want. Yes. You don't need to do what your parents did or your grandparents did or what society tells you to do. Like you and your partner or partners can decide what works for you. And I think that's the biggest lesson I've taken on. And just like, I love just how fiercely unapologetic she was. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that, you know, I will honor about her and take into our day-to-day interactions. What I love most about Kate is the fact that she was never judgmental of anybody who sort of looked at her in a way that was like, why do you have this kind of lifestyle? Question her. Even when we first had her on the show, yeah. you and I asked so many questions. Some questions. Because yeah. this is our first time being exposed to this sort of lifestyle. And she was so open and compassionate and welcoming. And for anybody, she's not like the type of person who's like, well, if you don't live a, a non-monogamous lifestyle, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. She's, she's always been like, you carve your own path. And she completely carved her own path and live her life the way she wanted it to. So we celebrate Kate and we're deeply saddened by the news mm-hmm. and we send our condolences to Ben and the family. But um, mm-hmm. we're just really grateful that we had a chance to meet her and have her in her life in our lives. Absolutely. And we will continue to do our part to bring on this legacy of, you know, normalizing do what you want. I think that's the way that we'll say it. We're not going to claim to be poly experts, but we will continue to have poly voices to make that heard. But also, just like we were saying, everyone can bring this into their lives, no matter if they think monogamy is dead or they believe in the one. It doesn't matter. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. 
Uh, well, moving on. I know. It's uh, hard to think to pass. I think, um, you know, just recapping the amazing week we had last week with the mm. dateable fam in town. We'll turn it into a positive note. I think that is definitely something, you know, the fam um, did not disappoint IRL. I think yes. that, I mean, everyone kind of matched what I was expecting also. But if anything, we're better IRL. I think the vibrancy of people come through even more than in video. Um, and I think it's a reminder too, which kind of gets into this episode of this week is attraction. I'm so excited to have Paul Eastwick on this mm-hmm. episode with us. Uh, I did a podcast with him for the California Groundbreakers, told UA immediately after we need to get him on yep. because he he studies attraction. He has an attraction lab. Like how freaking what a cool, cool is that? Yes. And I think like we talk about it in the episode too. It's like they're the way Dave dating apps are designed go against like common methodologies of being attracted to someone and judging on video and photos like it has a lot of limitations not saying that it can't work uh we obviously know many people that are in relationships from dating apps including myself so it definitely can work but you need to use apps to your advantage and not get sucked into the dynamics of apps and i think even seeing our community members irl was another data point to me that people just carry themselves so differently in real life. You know, I loved our meetup. And yes, everybody sort of matched up to what we thought they would be. But also, there were so many different nuances about people Mm -hmm. that you don't pick up from virtual calls. Like I got to sit next to Hisela during dinner. And I told Julie right away, I was like, she's one of my favorites. She is so (laughs) quirky and fun. She brought her own metal straw, okay, and her own utensils to dinner because she wants to be environmentally friendly and I love that about her and she is just so unapologetically herself and I just remember being like this girl she is she is the gold standard for me she is so fun and quirky I love it I guess what I took away from it though was the virtual means and you know the online connection it serves a purpose right it got all these people connected to one another it started the the, it actually is quite amazing how deep of a bond people form for purely doing video chats. Granted, it was over like an extended period of time on a regular basis, which is what we always say when it comes to forming connections with people you don't know. A lot of it is like continuously seeing the same people over and over again to build up that rapport. So yeah. I think it did serve that purpose. But I do think that everyone was just so much more dynamic IRL. Yes. And you feel people's energy and their vibe. I will always remember the conversation we all had at Novella. Okay, (laughs) I will bring this up again. (laughs) Shieldy was being her shieldy self, completely hilarious and so much fun. And she brought out this term, dick down. (laughs) And I think everybody knew what that term meant, except for me, but I pretended I knew. Oh my God, yes. But just feeling the vibe of when she said that term, when she was like, let's get I, I don't even remember the context but she says something like dick down and you feel people's body language change and their energy just sort of like rises and I, that's something you don't get virtually you know in person it was just the most hilarious moment and nobody said anything it was just that, oh. that moment of energy I think that was one of my favorite moments because 
we had one community member, I won't call him out, that did not know what it meant. And we were all giving him so much shit. And then the next night, we went to dinner, UA and I, and Louise, our event producer, and UA met my boyfriend for the first time. Yay! I like him a lot. UA admitted that she also didn't know, but she was not (laughs) admitting it in person. She was like silently in the corner on her phone looking it up, which I think is so freaking hilarious. I could not. I kept thinking like, I'm sure I've heard this term before. No, I haven't. I have no idea what it means. But now I know. And for anybody who doesn't know, you don't have to embarrass yourself by Googling a gathering. It just means basically getting plowed, right? I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. Kind of. But then someone else made the point. It's like, why wouldn't you say dicked out? You know? I don't know. Dicked down. It's like Like penning it it down. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are songs about getting dicked out. I was just shocked that you had never heard that term. I've never heard that term before, but the day after I listened to that song, Dick Down in Dallas, it's a country song. I don't even know that one. (laughs) Because if you Google Dick Down, that's the first thing that pops up is this country song song called Dick Down in Dallas. And it's about this guy's cheating girlfriend who's getting just fucked in every city. She'd get like anal in Boston and like uh, gangbang in Dallas or or some (laughs) other city. And then she gets Dick Down in Dallas. I don't know. That's that's the premise of the song, but listen to it because I now I completely understand what dick down means. I feel like there needs to be merch that says dick down in Dallas. Like yes. would be a great t-shirt. <laughs> Who would wear it out? I'm not sure, but yes. Yes. Uh, yes. I will say my first meet with UA and my boyfriend, UA was super sick, so she could oh. barely talk. And she still managed to grill my boyfriend. She pulled up an app on her phone asking the hard-hitting questions like any true podcaster will do. <laughs> Listen, it's not my first rodeo. I've lost my <laughs> voice before, and I had to use this app called Big, B-I-G, where you type out whatever you need to do, and it comes up as like big font text. So I had lots of questions and I couldn't use my voice, but I can certainly use text. I just want to show everyone if you're on YouTube, the very last question I asked Julie's boyfriend was this. What do you like best about Julie? Okay. (laughs) I I found this is the app I use. It's called Big. Uh, And his answer was so great. He said, Julie's so easy to talk to. I can just talk to, to her for hours. And that's what he remembered from your first date was that you just just kept talking and kept talking, just never stopped. That is true. I love that you memorized that answer because I just forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you not like about Julie? Bad listening skills. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) And Julie's boyfriend passed. He probably thought it was amusing. So therefore, I win. Well, I can't go to dinner and meet Julie's boyfriend for the first time and not ask anything. Yep. And I couldn't say anything. So, you know, I had to get some information. So if you all find yourself on a date without a voice, it doesn't mean that you should cancel. You just need to use <laughs> this app. It won't be weird. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it breaks the ice. If totally else. breaks the ice. Okay. <laughs> Shall we get into our question then? Because I feel like this has been something that we keep getting asked all the time mm-hmm. about you know, 
know, attraction. I think this is why we were so excited to do this, this episode too, is it's so hard to like determine what is that like it factor? What creates mm-hmm. chemistry? Why you are attracted to some people, but you aren't to others? Or why do you find someone like objectively attractive, but you're not attracted? There's so many nuances to it. So yeah, let's read this question that we keep getting in. The question's simple. How do I make myself more attractive? <laughs> and this is a trick question in a way because beauty is in the eye of the beholder and you will be attractive for some people and not for others. And there's no way we can be attracted to everyone. That's just the reality of things. But what we do know from talking to thousands of daters in the last five years is it's all about energy and a smile. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you can immediately up your attraction level if you walk into a room with bright, vibrant energy and a big, bright smile. Mm -hmm. It just, it's like mosquitoes to a light. They just, people want to swarm to you because they want to be around that energy. Absolutely. I think energy is so essential. And yeah, we can all do the things that like make us the most attractive version of ourselves physically. Like we're not going to go into that because it's so nuanced for every person. But I think we all know what it takes to like put our best foot forward. So there's Mm -hmm. that. But I think the energy and the vibe you're giving off, like I think someone that just loves their life and wants to invite you into their lives versus like, I am so desperate to find someone to like fulfill me and complete me. Like those are very different vibes. And I think positivity versus negativity is a big one. And this can show up in your language. I actually um, saw this video the other day of like, what is the most unattractive thing a woman can do for a man? And someone responded, actually, of course, my video source is TikTok. Let's be honest. Uh, I was trying to, I was trying to like pretend like it was a scientific It was a TED talk? No. TikTok. (laughs) You know, like how people like stitch in, like this guy stitched in and he was like, it's when women say they hate men. And Mm. it's the fat. And I think this goes the opposite way too. It's not just women to men. We hear it all the time that, you know, women only want someone that makes a lot of money or women are too demanding, like whatever it is, like that is such negative energy. Mm -hmm. And he was saying how he was baffled that this girl that he knew was sitting around a table talking about how difficult dating was. Yes. And how it, like she couldn't find anyone, and then she was like, "But men are all trash," and like no, no one's gonna like correct you because it, there's so much like political, you know, like incorrectness there. But it's gonna leave a bad impression, and yeah. no one wants to be part of that. So I think the easiest way to be attractive is to breathe that fresh air, like make it feel like you know this is someone that you're gonna have a fun time with, and it's not gonna be a draining experience. I think that is the easiest way to be honest attractive is to bring in that negativity. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I love that point because you think that energy is hard to read. It's actually the easiest thing mm-hmm. to read. So whatever you are bringing from your day, people can sense it. Yes. If you had a bad day, we always say this, if you have a bad day and you have a date that night, cancel. You don't ever want to go on a date with already bad mindset. You're no. just not going to have a good time. It's just 
the reality of things. So I think it's all about resetting and know yourself very well. And when you know you're in a good place, we all know when we wear that outfit, you just feel so good in, or you just came out of a meeting you feel so good about, you know exactly what you look like and the kind of energy you're radiating. And that is how you become more attractive. Absolutely. So we've heard it before too. It's like you don't have to do anything drastically different to your appearance. Like we had an episode a while back, Just Say Yes with Cheryl. She didn't do anything different. All that changed was the mindset of that she's going to like say yes to everything. And it changed her entire energy. And all of a sudden she started attracting people like flies. Like all of a sudden she was finding all these people that she never encountered. She didn't change where she lived, what she looked like, anything. It was just her energy. Okay, so since we'll, you know, we went into a bit about what attractiveness is like, but clearly Paul is the expert, so we will we'll let him take it away the rest for the episode. So before we get into Paul, should we talk about a few quick announcements? Yes. So we alluded to this at the beginning of this intro. We are opening up the registration page for our upcoming Finding Your Person program. We will be opening that up on Sunday for early bird waitlisters. It will be Mm -hmm. open at 10 a.m. PST or 7 a.m. EST. And you only have access to this link if you are signed up for the early bird waitlist, which you can still get on right now. It's findingyourperson.com. Don't miss your chance because <laughs> seeing how many people are on the wait list, there is a there's a high possibility that all the spots will be taken by wait list before we open it up to the public. Yep. But of course, we will let you know if it is open to the public or if we have a couple remaining. But if you're on the edge, you might as well just get it on the wait list because why wait and be disappointed later? Uh, I think also if you haven't been tuning into the video series by joining the early bird wait list, you get access to all of that for a completely for free. So you can better understand the methodology, you can pick up a few tidbits Mm -hmm. and exercises. So it's totally worth it for that alone. But obviously, we'd love for you to join the program because we really feel like this is what's going to get you to where you want to be and put you in that mindset to radiate attractiveness and all the energy and put that into the universe and all that cheesy shit. But it really does work. And it's not just talk, it is action. There's a lot, there's a lot of material in this in this program. So we are so excited to bring that to you. Okay, so let's get into a quick message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the high love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies 
with our exclusive code DATABLE at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use the code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This episode is made possible by Thrive Cosmetics. You've heard us rave about them before, and we're not stopping. Thrive Cosmetics is a line of high-performance, award-winning products that are made with clean, high-performance, skin-loving ingredients. All Thrive Cosmetics products are formulated without toxic ingredients like parabens, sulfates, and phthalates, and they're cruelty-free by never testing on animals. The Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara is my number one obsession. I no longer have to get extensions because because this magical mascara does the trick. It's completely flake-free, smudge-free, and clump-free, and stays on even on the hottest of days. No raccoon eyes for me. Also, as part of their bigger-than-beauty mission, for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics support nonprofit partners with a donation of funds or products. I am truly inspired by how this is a beauty brand that goes beyond skin deep. You're going to love them as much as we do. Visit thrivecosmetics.com slash datable for 15% off your first order. This is an exclusive offer you can only get here. That's thrive, C-A-U-S-E, medics.com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 15% off your first order. Again, thrivecosmetics.com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. Love it. Love it. Okay. So let's hear it from Paul.
What does attraction even mean? We're going to get into that on this episode with our very special guest, Dr. Paul Eastwick. He's a professor at, the, at UC, I was going to say the UC. He, he's a professor <laughs> at UC Davis. UC. <laughs> he's the UC professor. He runs <laughs> yeah. the Attraction and Relationship Research Lab, where he uses scientific approaches to understand how people form and maintain relationships, especially when it comes to attraction. Whoa. That's a lot. <laughs> so excited yeah. for this. Yeah. <laughs> and nice how work. we found Paul was a really great story. Uh, Paul and Julie were both on the California Groundbreakers podcast together. And as soon as Julie finished recording that podcast, she texted me and was like, we need Paul on our podcast. <laughs> True cool. story. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. Thank you for being here. <laughs> so who is Paul? He is 42 years old. He lives in Sacramento. He's been there for five years years originally from Massachusetts just like Julie and he is currently <laughs> in a monogamous relationship before we get into everything you've learned from the attraction and relationship research lab what exactly is an attraction and relationship research lab well that's a great question so uh, I am a social psychologist by training and so what that means is that I use a variety of experimental uh, correlational mostly data-driven approaches to try to get a better handle on the way that people initiate and maintain relationships. Sometimes that means bringing people into the laboratory and having them mm. meet uh, a real or fictitious other person to get a sense of how they might react uh, in terms of their romantic interest levels. Sometimes we track people's romantic interests over time. Uh, and sometimes we actually look at people who are currently in a relationship to uh, try to get a sense of how those relationships are going. So that gives you a sense of the kinds of approaches we use to try to better understand relationships. Interesting. So is it mostly qualitative like research or do you ever do like quantitative studies that are more, you know, for anyone unfamiliar with research techniques, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more in-depth conversations versus more survey style or mass looks at the population? So usually we do quantitative research, okay. meaning that we're, we're collecting data and we're going to analyze numbers and we're going to use statistics in some way, shape, or form to make generalizations about sort of what those numbers mean. Sometimes we use a little bit in the realm of qualitative approaches. Sometimes you'll have uh, videos. Um, we're doing a coding project right now where my grad student, Alexa, is doing a coding project where she's coding couples talking about their narratives about how they got together in the first place. So, cool. so that's very rich qualitative data, but as a quantitative psychologist by training, my instinct is usually, okay, let's somehow find a way to put numbers on the stuff <laughs> that people are talking about so we can analyze it that way. But qualitative approaches are are uh, are also very important in my field, I would say. And if we just go really high level right now through mm -hmm. all of your research, first of all, is attraction a thing that people can attribute to what they've experienced in the past? Or can people find attraction with people that they haven't exactly met yet? So what I mean by this is when we say 
oh, I'm attracted to this person. Is it because it's based on our history? We're actually based on some sort of chemistry. It's a good question. Certainly, it's very easy for people to experience, um, I think, something they'd comfortably label attraction. Sometimes we talk about romantic interests. I mean, there's sort of a variety of different, you know, people might talk about infatuation if it's especially strong, but these are the various labels we've used to describe, you know, that uh, that feeling that I am into this person and I would like to pursue this and see where this goes, right? That this sort of uh, internal subjective state that you and only you know, right? Mm -hmm. People are very comfortable with the idea that that can happen upon first meeting somebody. But what do we call that thing if you haven't actually met the person? What do we call that thing if you're like reading an online dating profile of Mm -hmm. somebody? Is that the same experience? Or is it like anticipated romantic interest, anticipated attraction? When I see that person, I'm sort of making a guess at how I'm going to feel about them. I guess my answer is maybe a little bit unsatisfying, which is that it's probably (laughs) a little bit of both. I do think people can experience genuine attraction for somebody if you've just looked at their online dating profile or just, you know, corresponded via text or something like that. But I do think that there is some component of that that is anticipatory. And that Mm. if I told you, you were never going to get to meet this person face to face, that would change your approach uh, substantially uh, in terms of what you were hoping to pursue with this person. So how do people even know in the first place what they're looking for? Like we hear people all the time be like, I have a type. And yeah. is that stemmed from society, from their background? Like, where does that come from? Yeah, so people often have very strong opinions and strong <laughs> ideas about what it is that's going to appeal to them. Yes. And these opinions and ideas go by a lot of names. So uh, having a type or not is part of that. Sometimes people also talk about uh, jargony terms we use in the literature are mate preferences or ideal partner Mm. preferences, right? Mm. And that's usually about traits, right? It's usually about, uh, I really want somebody who's hot and intelligent and goes scuba diving, right? I mean, you can get very, very specific (laughs) or very, very broad. Okay. So people form these ideas from a number of different places. Here, I'll just review the possibilities and I'll try not to let my (laughs) biases come through about where I think they are. True academic speaking. Right, right. I'm going to do my best. Okay. So some people would say they're evolved. Okay. So there are species typical preferences that humans have. Others might stress uh, that some are male typical and some are female typical, right? So if you're a man, you're going to sort of be more likely to have on average a preference for somebody who is physically attractive than a woman would have, okay? So these things could be species typical. The word innate is complicated and loaded, but some people would use that word to describe where preferences come. Mm -hmm. Other people would say it is basically a stereotype. It's basically Mm -hmm. a a distillation of the average people of your preferred sex that you meet. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of forming this template of what people of the other sex, if you're heterosexual, tend to have. And so that's what's coming out. Mm -hmm. Another possibility is that it is something to do with your history of meeting different kinds of people, distilling what are the things that separate the people you like from the people you don't like, and sort of properly calibrating like, you know, I really have seemed to like the intelligent women I've met more than the unintelligent women, and I seem to have that tendency more than my other male friends, ergo, I must like intelligence more than other people do. Okay, so this is... 
the math, <laughs> the mental calculus there is a little complex, but people might be doing that. Um, mm-hmm. So those are at least three broad possibilities for where people's ideas come from, right? It's innate. People are just telling you what they see around them without any real personal insight. Or people are sort of going over their own history and trying to tell you what is especially appealing to them as individuals. Mm. And when we use the word attraction and attractiveness, I just want to clarify that now because I've Mm -hmm. said this before and I've heard friends say this too. I find this person attractive, but I'm not attracted to them. Mm -hmm. Is that a true statement? Can you actually find someone attractive, but not be attracted to them? Yes, certainly. And and it makes me wish we had two words. I mean, honestly, it's kind of when you say attraction, um, in our nerdy papers, we often like to say <laughs> things like romantic interest or romantic mm. desire, mm. because the tendency to get confused between attraction and attractiveness is very, very easy. But the word attractiveness is almost always about physical attractiveness, like how hot is this person? I mean, you can be talking about faces, you can talk about uh-huh. bot, right? Different components of a person could be physically attractive, but that's that's usually what we're talking about when we say that. So, you know, the correlation between how physically attractive you think somebody is and whether or not you romantically desire that person, that correlation is like 0.6 or 0.7. That's that's enormous in social science terms, but mm. it's not determinative. So there are going to be some people that you're like, yeah, that guy's hot, but I'm not, I'm not into him. I do mm. not desire him. So that can certainly happen. So you talked about ideal partner preferences. That's kind of like the nerdy term that you use in papers. Do you see like trends of certain qualities popping up? Is it all like physical or is it across the board? Um, Well, so so people, if you ask people to start start listing, I mean, they can go on for hundreds and hundreds of traits about (laughs) things that that have occurred to them at some point, like, oh, yeah, I really like that attribute. I really like that attribute. The the most, you know, if you ask people off the top of your head, go start nominating things. Actually, the most common thing that people come up with is sense of humor. Mm. But oh, yes. you get you get attractive, you know, attractive, physical attractiveness comes in pretty high. All, all sorts of attributes uh, related to warmth and trustworthiness um, are, are also very popular too. And then you'll get things related to status and money, and you know, sort of uh, other kinds of indicators of the ability to navigate social hierarchies. Again, that's our jargony way of describing where those attributes come from. But people can go on for a very, very long time about the attributes that appeal to them. And get in arguments about, oh, like, you know, you think that attribute's important. I don't really think so. I think it's it's these other attributes. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would say, I don't know how useful those arguments are because it's not <laughs> totally clear to me how predictive these ideas are that mm. people have about what are the important traits. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. So so here's a thing I I do believe about. Uh, people's uh, personal insights. They would say, I'm more likely to be attracted to somebody who is warm than somebody who is moody. Like, good for okay. you. You nailed it. <laughs> like, <there laughs> Me too. Good traits yeah. Stating bad the traits. obvious. Yeah. All right. That's good. But if Julie, you say that you really want somebody who is intelligent and you, a, you say that you really want somebody who is uh, adventurous. Mm-hmm. Julie, are you likely to like the attract the intelligent people more than you a is? And you a, are you more likely to like the adventurous people more than Julie is? Odds are no. Mm. That that differentiation between people tends not to be very predictive. 
In other words, you don't really have unique insights into the attributes that appeal to you especially. Mm. So yes, you're able to describe something that's sort of typical of the whole population, right? Sort of like, you know, holding someone's hand is better than a kick in the head. But individual differences in how these traits appeal to people is very hard for people to have good insight into. And so how does that play into our dating lives? Because I yeah. feel like everyone feels like they are so confident yes. in the attributes they're looking for, their deal breakers, yeah. and these are must-haves. And now you're basically, I'm mind blown that you're telling us, no, we actually do not know these nuanced attributes that we're looking for. Uh, right. And when, what it means is that most of the time that people are spending on online And I'm thinking about like maybe a little bit more the old timey, like, oh, here's the profile and now like Mm -hmm. read about me and all these attributes and things. Um, You can spend a lot of time looking at that, but it's a coin flip, essentially, whether or not you're going to like the person that appeals to you on paper more than some random other person who didn't appeal to you on paper that you Mm. set aside. Fascinating. You know, so that's the challenge, right? Is you can spend a lot of time like fishing through the pile Mm -hmm. and and trying to set up your, you know, perfect weekend of four coffee dates. But (laughs) what if you took 10 minutes and just picked the first four that seemed remotely reasonable? (laughs) You might save yourself a lot of time. And it's not clear to me that your outcome that weekend would be any. So equal odds, really. Equal odds. We hear that all the time, though, is like Mm. people like something on paper and then it doesn't match up in real life. And we've heard from experts before too and we've talked about it on the show is that innately we don't know what we really want like we think we want something and characteristics like for example someone with the best sense of humor may not actually be the partner that's gonna be you know really the partner that makes you happy that's gonna be there for you through thick and thin like how do people kind of like get out of their own way with that type of stuff yeah it's very tricky and i do think when people get in the mindset of all right, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep meeting people until that first coffee date is just a huge mind blowing hit. You might be at it for a while. And the reality is, that isn't really the way that we were meant to date. Mm. Like, classically speaking, the people that we dated were people that knew for longer period of time, right? People had these social milieus. I mean, even going back to ancestral context, right? You were part of a social milieu that was actually pretty small. And these were people that would sort of come in and out of your life, but you would have a chance to get to know them in a context that wasn't so officially romantically evaluated, right? It, classically, if you think back to, you know, being in school, you sort of get a chance to know people by chance. Oh, you're assigned to the same group over here mm-hmm. in this task. Or uh, maybe you go to grandma's for the summer and you meet whoever's down the street or whoever's next door, right? So there's all these sort of chance ways that we have to get to know people gradually over time mm-hmm. that allow for a, a more subtle, gradual filtering of potential options. So the online dating realm is amazing in the sense that it gives you all these options and, hey, you got four four coffee dates uh, right. this weekend. But it's a it's a very special and unusual kind of filtering process. And I think I, I think it's easy to forget that if you just like lose that whole social milieu mixing component where people are gradually getting to know each other, it can feel like 
you know, like a like a job, right? It's like mm-hmm. this whole extra job that you have uh, that can be pretty dispiriting at times. We've talked to another expert too that mentioned, um, like she's a behavioral scientist at Hinge, and she mentioned how dating apps folk like they force you to focus on certain attributes because you can't see if someone's kind or mm-hmm. if they're funny or anything. Like you end up focusing on physical traits and you know job and status and all that. I guess in your opinion, I'd love to hear from you. Like, how do you let data gaps work for you to mimic more what you were just saying of kind of that natural getting to know someone? Well, yeah. So I, and here I'm speculating because honestly, it's been a long time since I found myself on a dating app. So I don't, (laughs) I can't really speak to the contemporary trends and what is it really like to, to use them. So some of this advice might sound absolutely wild too. Thanks for the caveat. <laughs> I love it. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so um, I would imagine that if you were using online dating as a way of broadening social networks, right? As a way of saying, not um, what coffee dates can I have this weekend that I can leverage into something else, but who seems like the kind of person I might want to meet and they might know of a party or a get together among a a larger group of like-minded people, right? Then maybe that would be something that you could connect to Mm -hmm. and sort of move from there. So instead of like, you know, trying this dart throw of like, maybe you're the one for me, or maybe you're the one for me, it's sort of like use online dating as a way of sort of making social networks move and meld together. So you're getting to meet more people. Again, this is all in the the pre-dating website age. But that was really sort of where the magic happened in terms of like feeling your social universe expanding. It was Mm. when you were like sort of connecting this social group with that social group and like people are all kind of meeting each other in new ways. I do think that that really leaves open the most possibilities. And I think it can be very frustrating and isolating for people if all they have are the online dating opportunities, strictly speaking, where this coffee date is to see where this date goes and nowhere else. That's a really insightful, I think, piece of advice for how to filter on online dating apps, because it is a way of expanding your mind to beyond romantic interest. Mm-hmm. It's more of who do I see myself hanging out with that I would right. probably normally wouldn't get to. But once you get to that first date, and we hear this quite a bit as too, is I wasn't attracted to this person, or I wasn't mm-hmm. as attracted to this person when I met them in, in real life. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is, in some ways, attraction builds over time. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners will ask, well, should I absolutely go on a second date regardless? What would you say to that? Do you think mm-hmm. that attraction can build over time, even if you just don't even have an ounce of attraction from that first date? So it's complicated in many ways, because on the one hand, if you look at relationships that became something, okay, so we're now, we know this relationship became long-term or short-term, it was sexual in some way, and you look back at the beginning, you can bank on seeing a trajectory that sort of started middling and went up, Mm -hmm. okay? So if everybody had a filter of, you have to sort of blow my mind from moment one, most relationships would never have happened. Mm -hmm. However, (laughs) if you take instead of relationships that made it, you look at the full pool of people that you've met that you were like a little into and you watch what happens from moment one, it goes down. So Hmm. what this tells me is that, yep, you need to go out and meet a lot of people and most of them, your opinion of them will not 
your romantic opinion of them will not stay high over time, but you're kind of waiting out for the few where your opinion will increase. So it's a lot of work. That's that's a lot of work. (laughs) Right. Let's pause that thought for just a minute so we can hear a quick message. This episode is made possible by Lugs. Amidst the golden age of the 90s, Lugs found its footing as a leader within the footwear and fashion space. Priding itself on quality materials and supreme comfort, the brand never wavered with the passing of trends. Whether you remember the brand's early appeal within the hip-hop culture or the countless celebrity endorsements, one thing remains the same, Lugs' distinctive style. Julie and I both have a few different styles of Lugs shoes ranging from their iconic boots to their canvas sneakers. Even though they're so different in style, one thing remains the same. They're all so comfortable and light. I love my flirt high zip boots that I can wear with cute summer dresses and my canvas sneakers go so perfectly with my jeans and t-shirts. Fun, comfortable, everyday wear, realistically priced and affordable. So go treat yourself. You can never have too many pairs of lugs. Exclusively for our beautiful listeners, get 30% off full price items now by going to lugs.com and entering the code DATEABLE. Again, that's L-U-G-Z.com and entering the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 30% off full price items. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, wow. <laughs> what? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I've definitely heard of people that have said, like, my partner initially wasn't who I thought I'd end up with. Or when I was on a dating app, I would have actually passed over my current partner that I'm with because of the way we just jived in real life. I personally think, like, it doesn't need to be fireworks from day one, but there needs to be, like, something there. Like, I think if there's, like, zero, it's hard to go from zero to, like, full blow. Right. I I think that's right. And, you know, people have uh, limited time, right? So, you you know, it certainly how into somebody you are at moment one is going to be highly correlated with how you feel about them at moment two and then moment three. Right. So, you know, it's going to track, but it can still be going up or down if you give it time to do one or the other. So people, you know, you want to start by pursuing the relationships where you're feeling really good about the person right from the beginning. But that doesn't preclude the possibility that had you given somebody a chance who didn't initially, you know, really blow you away, 
it would have been well. And this was the thing about sort of the way we used to meet people. And by used to, I mean decades past, but also for those of us who are sort of in professional workforce, you know, now, back when you went to school and were forced to interact with people over and over mm-hmm. again, whether you like them or not, is that that allowed those trajectories to just sort of happen naturally, right? Mm-hmm. So you didn't really have a ton of choice about who you got to see on a regular basis. So it's a very different universe when we're given so much choice about whether to interact with somebody again after moment one. But we kind of need to stay in the current universe because that's what we're working with. So from the stories we've heard of couples meeting IRL, a lot of them started out as friends or they Mm -hmm. were part of the same group or club or friend circle. And maybe that attraction wasn't there and eventually that attraction built. My current partner and I had known each other for five years (laughs) before we started dating. He played the long game. I did too. (laughs) But in today's environment, if we're thinking about online dating Mm -hmm. and we really want to feel that attraction, do you have any observations or hacks on how to speed up the attraction (laughs) process? Can I make myself attracted to someone a little bit faster? You know, there are. Here is what I'll sort of channel the collective wisdom of my field. (laughs) I think what people would say is that there are a couple tools you have at your disposal. The first is make those initial interactions uh, different and memorable. This is actually coming out of the Aziz Ansari book from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It talks about like a group of people, uh, a group of friends, they'd always take their first dates to monster truck rallies, right? These were not exactly (laughs) monster truck rally people, neither the people doing this nor the dates, but that's like pretty memorable and gives people a chance to show more aspects of themselves Mm. than the typical coffee drinks kind of date because you have something else to do and sort of marvel at. So doing things that are that are unusual or contain some sort of other activity. Now, some folks would even go further and say, yes, and make those activities exciting and novel and arousing. So, you know, bungee jumping, first date, just- Oh my gosh, know, can't get, imagine. Get, a, <laughs> get the, you know, buy 10, get one free card and just <laughs> make, make that your first date go-to. You know, maybe- you know, I, I do think that that's that that mixing it up, keeping it interesting, if you're going to use this sort of like one date and let's see how well we hit it off kind of, mm. kind of strategy. You know, what I wish existed was online dating, but like I'm going to meet you, but actually it's because you've got three friends in mind, mm. right? So like I'm sure somebody's done this. That sounds the kind of thing that would be compelling now. Mm people who run these sites can now tell me that's a terrible idea for a million reasons. But from a pure empirical psychologist perspective, that's what I'd want to see. People meet each other, but not because I want to date you because mm. you've got a number of single friends. And you and they could end up falling for that person. Sure. It's like not? less pressure. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, okay. So we're in our, we're in the current world where, yeah. you know, data gaps are prevalent. I mean, there are ways to meet outside, but I think especially during this year, and it's yeah. been even more focused, we are not in a lab. We cannot create the nope. quote unquote perfect partner. How do people like come to terms that someone realistically is not going to meet every ideal partner preference they have? Like, How do they feel like they've still made a good choice? Well, my guess is that what happens 80 to 90% of the time is that people say, huh, I guess I didn't really like that in the first place. 
<laughs> because I'm really into this person. And yep, they don't match what I would have told you ahead of time, but oh well. And they they move forward. And I would argue that is, in most cases, probably the psychologically healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that when people get very strict or rigid about what it is they're looking for, so much so that they foreclose promising real life options because that person is missing some attribute or you know maybe component of their family history or something like that. So they foreclose those options from moving forward, you know, that's the kind of thing that's probably worth doing some self-exploration to try to understand exactly why that is. Are you convinced that this is a way of sort of preventing future strife and pain? And how well can you really predict the future? And, you know, sort of maybe there'd be some uh, some, mm. some self-questioning uh, in that respect. That would be the thing that I would worry about when people get very rigid about, yeah, I like you. Yeah, this is going well, but this is not... Um, uh, what I said I wanted. That's not to say there aren't like real deal breakers in the world right. that people mm-hmm. have, right? Obvious ones are things like how do we coordinate our two jobs and, you know, how do we want to think about kids, right? right? So these are big deals, but uh, but I think it's also very common for people to take surmountable things and uh, transform them in their minds into something insurmountable. And that, I would argue, may not always be the best idea. Like if you're like, I like blondes and this person's a brunette, it might be, okay, am I being so rigid that I'm afraid to get something real, essentially? Right. I mean, to make it like a little more, you know, think about like sort of maybe educational background, maybe, you know, the things that you're into doing, right? Like Mm -hmm. you might desperately love travel, but this is somebody who's kind of a homebody. Mm. Like you never imagined being with a partner that you weren't going to travel the world with. But this is going well. What do you do under that circumstance? Mm, I, I do think that it's worth doing some exploration to try to, uh, you know, are there other ways you can sort of satisfy your travel bug, right? Are, are there are there other futures you could imagine that are a little less rigid than the one that you've uh, that you've got in your mind? Interesting. I wasn't even thinking of that example, so I want to go into that a little yeah. more. Maybe like which traits, like in this ideal partner preference, in your opinion, are things that people can fold on and that may not really be a predictor of future happiness versus which ones are maybe like gray areas? Because I could see travel being a gray area potentially. So so honestly, you know, I use the example of sort of job coordination, child coordination, family relevant stuff, but but to be honest, there's no good research suggesting that anything is, you know, anything other than a gray area, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm sort of you know, sort of imposing my own values on it, really, when I say like, well, obviously, you know, you know, you don't want kids, you know, you do want kids like that's rigid, and you should stick to that. But I actually don't have any sort of broader evidence for that. And part of that is a function of the limited way that we study things, we usually study sort of basic traits, right? So physical attractiveness, intelligence, sense of humor, it's almost always like your opinion, Mm -hmm. right? All of that stuff is negotiable, whether there's sort of more lifestyle relevant stuff. Politics would be another obvious one, right? Mm -hmm. That like, really, like this stuff is is also fungible, like you could change your mind about that. But I have the intuition that some of these things are very important to stick to, but I actually have no evidence. Mm hmm. 
And in a similar vein in your research, for the couples who've established some sort of baseline attraction towards each other, have you discovered at what point do they decide that this is it? I'm not right. going to look any farther. There's no, there's no one else better. Or they accept the fact that there may be other people who are better, but I'm sticking with this partner. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a really good question. And it's in some ways, like, that's the most interesting moment that comes two thirds of the way through the romantic comedy, right? That's like, <laughs> this is this is when it happens. And like, we are terrible at studying it. We're terrible at studying it because most of the time when we're studying couples, we're bringing in people who are way past that point and they've sort of mm. committed to each each other, right? So those are the people that come to labs for our studies. But, you know, we missed all that interesting stuff, right? Mm. We missed all the interesting moments about were there moments along the way where, you know, you almost bailed or the other person almost bailed or we got, you know, you broke up and you got back together. These things we tend to miss, you know, what we have seen when you ask people to, again, these are like relationships that made it to a certain point. Now you ask them to go back in time and sort of reconstruct what happened. And there's a long period of time between when people first meet on average and when they actually say like, yep, we are together and we are exclusive and we are sort of moving forward. We are off the market. There is a lot of stuff that happens, right? There's usually, at least, you know, in the modern Western context, there's a lot of sexual stuff that happens prior to that point. Part of that is people sort of figuring out and assessing, like, is this somebody that I'm into? Part of it is about meeting friends, you know, sort of you're dipping your toe in what this other person's life is like to see how it feels mm -hmm. and to see like, can you sort of bring the two streams of your lives together in a harmonious way? But we see these success stories when we study couples in retrospect, but that's very different than like, as this is starting to happen, can we predict sort of where this is going to go? And that's, you know, I, I would argue this is actually one of the great uh, mysteries in the empirical <laughs> science right now is like, what can we predict before it actually happens? It's actually quite difficult. Hmm. So the people that you guys study, the people mm -hmm. that are in committed relationships, and you were saying that, you know, some of them might have been attracted enough at the beginning, but maybe they didn't think their partner was the hottest person they ever saw or the most beautiful. Do you find that as the relationship progresses, they start to think of their partner in higher terms? Or are they... Like, is it that they're just looking at the overall picture or do they actually start believing that because they've bought into it? Um, I do think that the, what happens on average is that people's opinion, again, these are the couples that have made it. And now how did we get to this point? They started feeling more and more positively about this person over time. And whether it was, I got to see what this person is really like or I got to see how well we fit together, or I got to see things about this person that maybe nobody else has ever really gotten to mm -hmm. see. Maybe you saw them in a context that nobody else had seen, or maybe things that now they're sharing with you that they'd never really shared with anybody before. All of these elements start to create, you know, we use the term, um, uh, you know, we use the term unique to refer to the way that sort of two people end up fitting well together, right? So they build a unique relationship or sort of a unique uh, set of expectations and a, like a little microculture 
that is specific to their relationship. And so when they grow that successfully, that's where it seems good relationships come from. So it's not about sort of picking the right person from the very beginning, but about building something over the first set of interactions that you have with this person. At least that's Mm -hmm. where we think good relationships come from. Hmm. That's fascinating. That's, that's really fascinating. Because that's like the opposite of how online dating works. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, it's, and it's what it could mean is that you could build a successful relationship with many, many people. If right. You had to, right? So if the one had, is a myth. Right. If you had three options, you'd make it work with one of them. But right. now yeah. you have 10,000. So you spend a lot of time shopping around. And and with that shopping around, I think one thing that dating apps do is that it makes you feel more attractive than you really are because it's everybody's profile photos are looking at you. It's like stepping mm-hmm. into a yeah. bar and 10,000 people, all eyes on you. Yeah, and right. you have the choice of saying yes and no to all these different people. Have you found that to be true? in your studies that people may just find, they may think they're more attractive than they really are. And that's what's attributing to their unsuccess. Oh, that's interesting. With online dating. That's definitely my theory of online dating. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody, everybody feels, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Everyone thinks they're hotter than they are. And then they're looking for someone hotter. And it's a cycle of never finding someone. And I think when you find someone at your quote unquote level, that's when things fall into place. Yeah. I do think that there is an easy tendency to get overwhelmed by the wide variety of options and to think like, this feels good, but I wonder if something else could feel even better where we could click, you know, even more strongly. Now that's a little different from the matching idea, Mm. right? The Mm. idea that people get a lofty sense of who they are and they start pursuing people who are in fact, you know, at an even higher level than them. And like that causes this mismatch. That as an idea, I am a bit skeptical of. Okay. At least once you start talking about face-to-face interactions Mm. and moving forward. And the reason why is that I think we, I think we overstate the amount of agreement there is about things like who is desirable and who is hot. Mm. People do agree, but it is not all agreement. And in fact, Mm -hmm. it is very far from perfect agreement. There's a great study. I mean, it's like a 15-year-old study before my time. It's it's truly fascinating kinds of stats they do. It was very creative. But essentially what they had were a set of online dating profiles and a bunch of raters Mm -hmm. looking at these photos and rating how hot they were. Okay. And... They looked across, okay, 100 of these photos. For how many of these photos did somebody put you in the top half and somebody else put you in the bottom half? Mm-hmm. And the answer was 95%. Oh, damn. That's wow. 95% of people, guess what? Somebody's going to think you're awesome and somebody's going to think you're terrible. Okay? Wow. It's only 5% of people who like everybody agrees like you do not have it or you definitely have it. Wow. So there is a lot of disagreement out there about who is hot and who is not. And even more dramatic is that as people get to know each other, that goes down even more. Now I don't have, Mm. I can't make the same numbers, but you can imagine that going to 96, 97, 98, 99% that, you know, among the people that you know, well, there's actually not great consensus about how good of a catch you are. Right. 
some people just <laughs> just you know like hanging out with you, but you know they, they may not exactly be into you. Where some people are into you, or they're secretly into you, right? So that that agreement goes down. If agreement goes down, it means all of this like you can do better. You're a six, she's a nine. Just it it all sort of becomes high school silliness. That's so fascinating because I feel like in society, there's certain cultural standards and those actually are different in other in different places. So I think sometimes I definitely have felt this like if I'm not this, that's like pinpointed as the cultural you know, definition of beauty, then people must not feel that way. And you're basically saying like, that's just it's all bullshit in a way. It is. Um, I would say it is. Uh, a little true. It, it, here's here's an here's another way that I I'm fond of putting it. Okay, so I would argue beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In fact, I would argue it's approximately seventy percent in the eye of the mm-hmm. beholder, right? <laughs> but thirty percent of the variance is people agreeing. Okay, mm-hmm. so. And so if you're talking about context where people are looking at photos or they're meeting you for the first time, they don't really get to know you. Yeah, 30% is going to be agreement. And that can feel like a lot, right? I mean, yeah, it leaves a line share left over. But like you would be able to figure out pretty quickly where you ranked in the hierarchy of things if agreement is at that 30% level. But as people mm. get to know you over a course of weeks and months, it goes down. It's 20%, is 10%. And among people who know each other really well, it's it's quite small. That I think is maybe the distinction is that and and why people who might not consensually be the most desirable people on paper or when photographed, they can often feel like movie stars among their small cadre of friends and acquaintances. And you know what? That's exactly how it's designed because that was how we evolved. We evolved to sort of get to know people in these small groups, right? We didn't evolve to like, oh, like one person gets to dominate all the mates because they're the highest. Like that's not like, again, like, like, you'll hear that from evolutionary psychologists, but I don't know what species they're describing. It's not what people do, right? Right. It's not, if you yeah. look around, people, like every person is like has found someone, right? It's not yeah, just like, people that look like celebrities. Right. Mm-hmm. People that I think are unattractive when I first meet them, guess what? There's a very good chance that person is going to find a very happy relationship and be great. Or maybe they'll have a relationship and then it'll go badly and they'll break up and they'll get in another relationship. Like, it's all okay. There's a lid for every pot. That's that's always the case. But in your studies, again, because I'm just so curious if you've seen any differences when it comes to attraction based on different genders, based on different age groups, based Mm -hmm. on different stages in life. Are people looking for different things because they're in a certain stage or they're a certain age? Um, These are good questions. First, I'll talk about sex difference related stuff, and then I'll see if I have anything to add about age specific. Okay. With respect to differences between men and women, there are definitely differences. Sometimes those differences are big differences. And the most obvious glaring difference that you'll find in pretty much any survey is that men are more, they're more comfortable with the idea of casual sex, hooking up with somebody they don't really know, doing risky things that might facilitate them hooking up with people they don't really know, right? Mm. So these are the things that men are much more likely to do than women. You know, again, it's not like 99% of men will do that and 1% of women, right? It's it's more modest than that. But that's a sex difference that you can easily see with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. And so that's also associated with the fact that usually when men and women are first meeting, men tend to be the more amorous one. Mm. But as people get to know each other, 
those sex differences start to wane. You don't mm. see much of a sex difference, for example, if you look at established couples and sort of who is sexually satisfied in that relationship, right? If anything, what you see is that men, when they're meeting people for the first time, tend to be overly optimistic about, you know, oh, she seems super in, right? So men are constantly overestimating how much women are into them. <laughs> Interesting. But they, but they do the opposite in their ongoing relationships. Like they, oh. they, they like overcorrect the other way, which is this weird mystery that we really? don't fully understand. Yeah, they think they're women. They think their girlfriends don't want to have sex with them, and they totally do. So, um, <laughs> so a lot of like what we understand about sex differences, I would argue, are about like men and women meeting for the first time. Right. And you do see a conflict there, and again, like men are like, hey, whatever. Like, what do I have to lose? And women are a little bit more like, slow down, buddy. Mm-hmm. But all of that relaxes with time. And when mm-hmm. we get stuck in a in a mode of, oh, we're only ever meeting strangers and we're only ever studying strangers in my field, uh, sex differences can look more dramatic than I think that they really are. So is there any truth to like that you hear all the time that women place more emphasis on status, for instance, like a man's job or, you know, their wealth or whatever. And then you hear that men are often gravitating. I'm talking about in heterosexual relationships yeah. here, that w- men are more like looks focused is there any truth to that or is that bogus um not really so and, mm. and this is something that we've studied mm. a lot in my lab o- over the over the years and decades so it's definitely true that men and women tell you that right so <laughs> men will consistently say they like attractiveness more than women do and women will say they like status and money more than men do okay but then if you look at how strongly those traits actually appeal to people, attractiveness is very appealing. Again, it's not perfectly determinative, but it is positively correlated with how desirable somebody's going to be. But that's true for men and women, right? To, to the same extent. So the correlation between how physically attractive people consensually agree somebody is and how successful they're going to be at, say, speed dating, that correlation is like 0.3 and it's the same for men and women, mm, right? Interesting. So it matters. pretty important in the grand scheme of things, but it matters the same for men and women. If you look at things like money or earning potential, and again, I too find this somewhat shocking, but it has like a tiny positive effect, but it has the same effect for men and for women. Mm -hmm. Now, is that because it's co-varying with different things for men and for women? Maybe women who earn a lot are like really funny, right? And maybe men who earn a lot, (laughs) they progress really well, right? Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, there's like other things in there that are sort of causing those things to, to be equal. I mean, I suppose you could be getting things like that. But uh, the sex differences that people report when they describe their ideal partner, going back to some of those mechanisms I mentioned earlier, you know, my hunch is that they're mostly describing stereotypes. Yeah. Stereotypes in the form of like people know that men on average earn more than women. So when mm-hmm. women are describing a man, they're mm. describing somebody who earns more than when men describe a woman, right? Mm. So I think that is filtering into people's ideals. And that's where some of those sex differences come from. You can actually make the same case about attractiveness because guess what on average women are hotter than men everybody agrees mm, so right. there's there's some amount of that that's getting in there and that's yes men and women are different but that doesn't necessarily mean that that you would want to max out different attributes depending on whether you were a man or a woman if you're trying to be successful and everyone's perception of what attractiveness means and what wealth means is all different that's what right. i'm gathering relative. from this that it's like i think i mean it's a really good segue to some of the takeaways it's been a 
fascinating conversation. Thank you again, Paul, for being here. I I mean, my biggest takeaway is one, everything is in the eye of the beholder. There is no perfect partner. There are no perfect traits. It's what is perfect for you and that person, this unique bond that you two have together. And I think this whole notion of, you know, time that really stood out to me with this. And I think that might be one of the faults in modern days that we don't give people enough time. And I think if you're constantly looking for someone quote unquote better, and I hate using that word because it kind of goes back to like, what does better even mean if it's all like relative to each other? You may be single for the rest of your life if your goal is to be in a relationship because that person doesn't exist. Like, And I think sometimes we have to look at ourselves too. Are we perfect in every way? Absolutely not. I know I'm certainly not. So why would mm-hmm. I expect someone to have every ideal characteristic? And again, is that ideal my ideal or is it a societal ideal? Yeah. And then that's great. I think thinking about compatibility rather than market value Mm -hmm. and thinking about time rather than hitting it off immediately. These are two important things to keep in mind that are underappreciated, I think, by general public, but also, you know, the science gets in a lot of fights about these issues too, (laughs) because because we tend to assume market value and you should know immediately. And I would argue both of those things are vastly overstated. I think it's undervalued because it takes brain power to think about these things, Mm -hmm. to think about compatibility. What you've touched upon, Paul, is that we blindly talk about the traits we're looking for because that's what we've been hearing. I think the sense of humor one is such a great case in point because everybody will say sense of humor is the number one quality (laughs) they're looking for. And if that were the case, every comedian out there would be like married with with five wives or five husbands, right? (laughs) Like there would be no single comedians out there, but that's not the case because we just blindly say sense of humor. Of course, that's what I've been told and stability and sense of adventure. But what I'm gathering from this conversation is that we have to take inventory of all the traits we're looking for and kind of go through each one and question, is this something I really truly value? Or was this something that I heard as a stereotype and that I just thought that I should put it onto my list? And the list of traits we're looking for really shouldn't be that long to begin with. These should be tied to our core values and it needs a redo for a lot of us to reevaluate what it is we're really looking for. I also love this idea of dating like we're in a lab. Why can't (laughs) we have our own attraction labs going on dates and throwing out different things that you're bringing onto the date just to observe what happens is such a great idea because then it becomes less about putting pressure on that person to be someone that you're impressed by or someone who could be a romantic interest. You're putting the onus on yourself to say, how can I make this date more interesting so I can get the most information from my date and learn the most about myself as well. So we can all date like we're in an attraction lab. You know, my former advisor went speed dating. This is now almost 20 years ago and brought a set of cards of different questions to ask. These were questions that like came from the empirical literature. Okay. And there were some that were supposed to build intimacy and some that weren't. And so he would randomly draw them and start talking about them on the dates. Okay. Did the cards actually have that predicted experimental effect? Definitely not. But they were really interesting conversation starter. Mm. So there are ways of adapting like these different ideas, like you were suggesting. Treat it like a lab, like not the same exact experimental manipulation, but bring in different (laughs) things to like make it interesting and to make it different because relationships are a thing that you will have to create. 
And so you can imagine the ideal dates being where you have the opportunity to try to create something together as opposed to just one drink, where are you from, and right. what do you do? Mm. I think we need to stop looking at it as a list of traits. Like I think you said something really fascinating, Paul, of just is it that someone's well-dressed or is it like that they have status? Like, like does that fall into looks? It all kind of merges together. And I almost yeah. feel like we need to just start. We've talked about this on the podcast many of times. It's the feeling that you have with this person opposed to cherry picking if every last trait is what you're looking for. And you said it here too. It's maybe that isn't really something you needed in the first place, or maybe you start to see it in a different light because it's now hybrid with some other trait. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. One last question for you. What is the most surprising thing that has come out of the attraction lab for you? Okay. The most surprising thing. Wait, give me a second. Okay. Okay. Here's one that continues to be pretty surprising to me. And we continue to wrestle with it in a lot of ways. And it is that, so we talked about this idea that initially people agree about who's hot and who's not. Okay. And that, that, that matters a lot early, but it starts, starts to wane off. And so then you might assume, well, but that's because other more intimacy producing traits will start to matter more. So right. Initially I'm into the hot guy, but um, my kind, trustworthy friend, his kindness and his trustworthiness, well, that will start appealing to me more and more over time. So Mm. it's like a bad boys win in the beginning, but the nice guys, eventually their kind traits take over. Mm -hmm. Mm, I don't think that's true. No. Who you are in terms of your individual differences or how people might consensually rate you, basically all of that stops mattering the more you get to know somebody. So it is not actually that nice guys win. It's that all guys and women have a chance to develop a relationship where they have an opportunity to be nice. And if they take that opportunity, then the relationship is successful. And if they <laughs> don't take that opportunity, then the relationship fails. But the niceness that like you possess, it actually doesn't do all that much. And that mm. is a little, again, if there's any like psychologists listening to this, their heads just exploded because I just <laughs> made them very mad by suggesting that like niceness doesn't really matter but it matters in the context of your relationship context, it matters what your partner yes. thinks but like other people, oh, he's such a nice trustworthy guy he's it not gonna matter. be a better partner it's all <laughs> it, none of that really, really matters love it wow that is so fascinating well you know what does matter is you paul thank you so much for being on our show <laughs> you do matter to us that is the nicest outro i've ever received And if people want to learn more about your attraction lab and your research, where can they find you? Um, They can follow me on Twitter. That is the that is probably my largest social media presence. It isn't a lot, but it's uh, at Paul Eastwick. That's, uh, you know, where we sort of posts our new findings and stuff like that. Great. Cool. We'll definitely link that and your yeah. website in our show notes. Absolutely. Cool. And you know what makes you listeners more attractive to us is when you give us five stars in Apple Podcast Reviews. <laughs> it is a panty dropper. You know, you can only, it is, you can't argue with it. There's a hundred percent consensus here. It is the most attractive thing. And if you can five write a little nice only. note too, it's just, it's music to there our ears and we truly appreciate all of your 
your nice reviews that have been coming in recently. Thank you again, Paul, for being on this episode and for sharing all of this knowledge that we can now go home and digest and really think about it <laughs> for the you. rest of the day. Thank you. It's a to be here. This was so amazing. So fascinating. <laughs> We're going to wrap up this episode now. Stay dateable and attractive. And attractive. (laughs) The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.